RST3712, Analyzing the Spiritual Self, Podcast 2. Following on from what I was talking about in Podcast 1, I will continue discussing the distinction between law and spirit in religious focus. So let's just dwell a bit on the idea of religion as law. If one looks, for example, at two religions, Hinduism and Christianity, a large part of the religions is directed towards social control. In Hinduism, the caste system ensures that the role of each caste not only maintains social order, but also contributes to the balance in the entire universe. Each caste has a specific duty to perform in society, and this has universal significance. In Christianity, when Constantinople in 313 CE made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire, his aim was to unify unify the entire uh, empire under one universal belief system and practice. And then in 380 CE, this idea was taken further, when all religions in the Roman Empire were outlawed besides Christianity. By contrast, so when we talk about the spiritual aspect of religion, we are more interested in aspects of religion that focus on personal experience and the inner experience of the person's religious life. In Christianity, the earliest examples of people turning inwards to find their spirituality is with the the Desert Fathers, who lived as ascetics in Egypt, withdrawn from society, as the name suggests, in the 3rd century CE. These men were the forerunners of the monastic tradition that spread throughout Europe. What is significant for our study of analysing the spiritual self is the withdrawal from society and the church's structure. By emphasising in experience, the Desert Fathers began a trend in Christianity that empowered personal experience, intuition and the soul's journey to God. In short, this act of ascetism becomes an act of personal enunciation with ramifications affecting practice and belief. When there are enunciations affecting religious practice and belief, we are entering into domains that constitute political actions that challenge orthodoxy's goal to maintain universal practice and belief. For example, Hildegard of Bengen of Rhineland, or what is today Germany, who lived between 1098 and 1179, asserted direct personal spiritual experience that comprised of voices and visions. When she began writing about her experience of a child, she began to a change in Christianity that would start an, a reverberations through the history of Christianity. But as a woman in the Middle Ages in Rhineland, her writings were not taken seriously. But some theologians and mystics did acknowledge her, namely Bernard of Claval. With his support, she was able to establish a convent of nuns in Bengin. The importance of Hildegard was that she claimed authority for her experiences, and she introduced the notion of the immediacy of spiritual experiences in Christianity. Hildegard's convent had allowed women to become leaders in theory and practice in Christian mysticism. Later, a group of women began a spiritual movement influenced by her, but separate from Hildegard's convent in the second half of the 12th century. These women, known as the Begins, uh, organised a movement with a distinctive form of women's spirituality, 
in a decentralized way in urban environments. They renounced property, sex and marriage, and lived alone or in small groups of women and de dedicated themselves to a religious life of devotion, service and purity within the secular world. <clears throat> the movement then spread into Belgium, Netherlands, France and Rhineland. <coughs> Sorry. Though these mystics never wanted to leave the Christian fold, they emphasized their right to express their personal experience. Their personal experiences were recordings of their right were recorded in their writings. So it's, it's, it is for this reason that we look at autobiography and the theory of autobiography in this module. Mystics like Hildegard were concerned were concerned with their soul's journey to God. This is different to the idea that the church provides salvation. The idea here is that personal enunciation speaks to the experience of the spiritual self, or in James Olney's terms, the private spirit. Indeed, when James Olney writes about the self as metaphor, as a connection between the personal logos and the cosmic logos, the function of autobiography is to enliven this connection between the personal logos and cosmic logos. The, the medieval mystics we are talking about just now would articulate this metaphoric connection in terms of the soul's journey to God. But only would say that the purpose we find in our lives and how we write or speak about it are the metaphors we choose to narrate the connection, the, sorry, the connected patterns in our life. For Charles Taylor, the spiritual background, the, the spiritual narratives we use to describe our lives, becomes the foundation of our sense of morality and justice for our social context, as his author begins. A public self is guided by a private self, and the private self is guided by what he terms the strong evaluations. But for Taylor, the self is not just the private self, but also the cultural, political, and personal identity that is religion, gender, race, class, etc. Our strong evaluations are dictated by all these factors, and all, of course, within a particular moment in time and space. Please check for extra reading material on announcements to supplement this podcast. That is all for now. Listen to my podcast next week. RST3708, Podcast 3, St. Augustine and St. Aquinas. In Podcast 2, we spoke about the difference between holistic and atomistic philosophical ideas. I spoke about Plato being a prime example of a holistic philosopher, and Aristotle being an excellent example of an atomistic thinker. In this podcast, we will look at the two theologians who were very influenced by Plato and Aristotle, respectively, namely St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas. Both thinkers are giants in Christian theology. When we look at these two thinkers, we are witnessing the early emergence of the modern ideas of self and soul and the political self. But not only that we are also seeing the early development of modern political thought in terms of differing ideas of freedom and truth. Both Augustine and Aquinas wrestle, wrestle with these ideas and form the basis of how we understand our modern society, our sense of self and political responsibility. 
But in order to really understand Augustine and Aquinas, we must return to Plato and Aristotle. Plato's philosophy can be thought of as a system because it's founded on rationality and abstract ideas. Within his system, he is interested in certain fundamental questions like, what number one, what is the right kind of life to live? Two, the best kind of society? Three, what is knowledge and how do we get it? Four, what is the fundamental nature of reality? He is interested in the relationship between these questions and if there is an order to these questions. For him, truth is understood in examining how we, what, sorry, what we mean by soul, mind and reality. In other words, the relationship between the world and us, humanity. Some people would argue that Aristotle's thinking is also a system, while others would not. What is the difference between Plato and Aristotle's ideas of systems? Aristotle's approach to knowledge is called encyclopedic. He's, he kept developing and revising his views the more he observed nature. What does this say about his way of thinking? This means that he is an empiricist. When it comes to being moral, virtuous and good, Aristotle d disagrees with Plato. For Aristotle, it is not important to understand or know the abstract idea of goodness to be good in one's life. Rather, he argues that there are certain guides we should use, like honesty, temperance, honesty, and being kind-hearted by virtue uh, and, and being virtuous. And these should be practiced every day to find the best outcome in daily situations. Unlike Plato, there are challenges with studying Aristotle. Most of the writings we have of Aristotle come from his lectures and fragments of his notes. His more polished writings are lost to us. Do you think that this makes understanding Aristotle more difficult than Plato's thought? As we have Plato's complete writings collection. Probably so. For this reason, the famous British philosopher and mathematician Alfred North Whitehead said that philosophy is a footnote to Plato. He most probably also meant that Plato asked all the questions first that subsequent philosophers ever since have grappled with. To start with, then, we'll talk, start talking about St. Augustine. He was born in Carthage, which makes him an African philosopher. But the period of his life we will be focusing on was spent in Milan, in Italy. It is a very important period in his life because it was when he converted to Christianity. In 383 CE, uh, Augustine left Carthage and became a professor of rhetoric in Milan, Italy. He had broken away from the Manichaean religion that believed that the world was in a state of battle between an evil god and the god of light. After arriving in Milan, Augustine became a member of a small discussion group comprising of pagan and Christian intellectuals. The focus of the group was to investigate the forgotten writings of Plato. They saw the writings of Plotinus, who lived between 205 and 70, uh, 270 CE, as a very good way of approaching Platonism, because a Neoplatonist uh, like Plotinus had further developed thinking of Plato. One significant development of Plotinus from Plato's philosophy was that the was that Plato was wait sorry where Plato was a dualist, separating material world from the abstract world of forms. Plotinus found it more logical to transform Plato's thinking into monism. 
Plotinus argued that if one followed Plato's logic, there can only be one ultimate reality, not two. He called that reality the one. This reality radiate, radiated outwards in the internal process of emanation, becoming ever dimmer with distance, but nevertheless always the same substance. Plato's ideas, Plotinus argued, were located in the mind of the one or God. The animating uh, force in the universe begins in the mind and the soul of God. And the material world is the outer limit of the mind of God. Due to the dimness of God's radiance in the material world, it only appears to be separate from God, filled with imperfection. While the human soul was caught up and trapped in the material outer limit and filled with ignorance, it also allowed all human beings to turn inwards and embark on a spiritual journey of the soul back to God's inner being. Augustine became very influenced by the idea of the journey of the soul back to God. During this period, Augustine converted to Christianity and was baptised with his mother, child and a close friend. Augustine then spent six years in a country estate, lucky him, engaged in philosophical reflection between 386 and 391 CE. The idea of the journey of the soul became the framework of his Christian theology. He synchronised the Platonic idea of truth with the Christian idea of Christ. Both Plato and the Gospel of John describe the source of truth as Logos and the Word, John 1 verse 1. But Plato didn't describe the way of way to truth, and Plotinus spoke about the journey of the soul back to God, Augustine believed that the practicalities of returning to truth was provided by the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Augustine was very influenced by the Gospel of John, wherein John asserts that the word was made flesh in the world. Augustine argued that in Christianity there was the practical way to the truth from the flesh. Christianity is the way to know God through the inward uh, turn towards the soul. In Augustine's thought, the Western philosophical concepts of truth, being and God were brought together. When we look at modern philosophers, we will see that the relationship between these three concepts become more tenuous. But significantly for Augustine, being is less a personal experience than an unbounded, apparent and everywhere an eternal and unchanging presence. This for Augustine is the Logos, and because it is Logos, it is knowable through reason. He found corroboration of this in the Gospel of John, and it says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, in John 8.32. By knowing Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the guidance of Jesus, human beings would be freed from ignorance in the materiality. Uh, in the, in materiality. Knowing and reason for Augustine was the gaze of the soul. But reason, not matter, had to be based on faith. Before one understood, one first had to believe. Faith permitted the immediacy of understanding things beyond words used by reason. The interior teacher, or Christ, could be located in the soul. And this location of Christ within the soul allowed access to truth and the word of God and, of course, the Logos. 
We will now turn to St. Thomas Aquinas' theology. He was a Dominican monk who lived during the 13th century. During this century, Christian scholars in Europe were exposed to the philosophy of Aristotle. Greek texts containing fragments of Aristotle's thought, previously lost to Christian Europe, entered the centres of learning via Muslim scholars who preserved fragments of his lectures and notes. The Christian scholars who studied Aristotle though, were called scholastics. The most important of the scholastics was Aquinas, born in southern Italy in 1225 CE. Aquinas perhaps more interested in applying, was, was perhaps more interested in applying reason to his theology than Augustine. In fact, for Aquinas, reason becomes capital R, reason. It's not just human reason he's concerned with, but, but rather the rationality of the divine. For, August, for Aquinas, if God is rational, it must be possible to rationally prove the existence of God. Augustine had derived some proofs for the existence of God, but for Aquinas, it was a major part of his theology. He applied Aristotle's practical reasoning based on observations of nature. But remember, Aquinas raised the importance of this Aristotelian reason to the mind of God. And from this, he developed five rational proofs for the existence of God, namely the argument for the first mover. Everything in the world is caused by something else. Everything is an effect of some cause. There must be a first cause. And for Aquinas, this is the Christian God. Second argument, the argument for by causation. Everything in the world is changing and in transition from potentiality to actuality. But there must be something that is pure actuality, an original mover at the start of the process of change, an unmoved mover. And for Aquinas, this is the Christian God. Argument by contingency. Everything in existence is dependent on something else. But there must be something that is not dependent on anything else. And this, for Aquinas, is the Christian God. Argument by degree. Everything in the world is more or less perfect. But some things are more perfect than others. We must therefore assume that there is an absolute standard of perfection, ability and truth, and that would be the Christian God. And finally, this last argument is the argument from final cause, also sometimes known as the teleological argument. It goes, everything in the world tends towards an end, a goal. God is the telos of the world. This is sometimes called the argument by design, meaning that there must be an intelligence or a designer behind the order in the, in the world. The designer would the Christian God. It is very important to notice that for both Augustine and Aquinas, uh, the understanding of the Christian God is non-personal. That is very important for the evolution of the modern Western society and state. The God they describe is not swayed by emotions and favoritisms. It is the God of being, as Augustine uh, describes, or the rational God as Aquinas describes. And these two notions, the God of being and the God, of, the rational God, lay the foundations of the modern ideas of equality, freedom, justice, fairness before the law, and the inalienable rights of all people. That is all for now. Next week we will talk about modern philosophy of religion. Cheers for now. RST 3712
Augustine's spiritual self. St. Augustine's Confessions is one of the earliest autobiographies of the spiritual self. It was written in Latin between 397 and 400 CE. During this period of his life, Augustine was ordained as a priest in 391 and as a bishop in 395 CE. Such a rapid promotion of the ranks of church hierarchy seems to be the purpose of writing the Confessions, providing justification for his accelerated rise through the ecclesiastical ranks. But it also provides an honest appraisal of his life, and more importantly, his inner life, providing details of his perceived failings and weaknesses. To start with, Augustine was born in Carthage, making him an African theologian and philosopher. But the period of his life we will be focusing on was spent in Milan in Italy. It is a very important period of his life because it was when he converted to Christianity. In 383 CE, Augustine left Carthage and became a professor of rhetoric in Milan, Italy. He had broken away from his previous religion, or called the Manichaean religion, that believed the world was in a state of battle between an evil god and a god of light. After arriving in Milan, Augustine became a member of a small discussion group comprising of pagan and Christian intellectuals. The focus of the group was to investigate the forgotten writings of Plato. The group saw the writings of Plotinus, who lived between 205 and 270 CE, as a very good way of approaching Platonism, because as a Neoplatonist, Plotinus had further developed the thinking of Plato, one significant development of Plotinus from Plato's philosophy was that where Plato was a dualist separating the material world from the abstract world of forms, Plotinus found it more logical to transform Plato's thinking into one of monism. Plotinus argued that if one followed Plato's logic, there can only be one ultimate reality, not two. He called that reality the one. This reality radiated outwards in internal in an internal process of emanation, becoming ever dimmer with just distance, but nevertheless always of the same substance. This is a very important idea when we get to look at Augustine's idea of being later on. Plotinus argued that being was located in the mind of God or the One. The animating force in the universe, universe begins in the mind and the soul of God. And the material world is the outer limit of the mind of God. Due to the dimness of God's radiance in the material world, it only appears to be separate from God, filled with imperfection. While the human soul was caught up and trapped in the material outer limit and filled with ignorance, it allowed human beings to turn inwards and embark on a spiritual journey back to God's inner being. In order to really understand confessions, it is very important to grasp the fundamentals of Plato's thought. Plato's philosophy can be thought of a system, of a system because it's founded on rationality and abstract ideas, much like when you're doing mathematics or doing a, for a mathematical formula. Within this system, he is interested in certain fundamental questions. What is the right kind of life? What is the best society we should live in? What is knowledge? How do we get it? And fourthly, what is the fundamental nature of reality? He is interested in the relationship between these questions and if there is an order to ask these questions. 
For him, truth is understood in examining what we mean by soul, mind and reality. In other words, the relationship between the world and humanity. Augustine asked these Platonic questions within a Christian, Christian framework. So his questions were, what is the right kind of life for a Christian to lead? What is the best kind of society for a Christian to live in? What is knowledge for a Christian and how should he or she acquire it? And what is the fundamental nature of reality as a Christian should understand it? We will answer these questions in this podcast in terms of Augustine's emerging idea of the spiritual self. Augustine became very influenced by the idea of the journey of the soul back to God. During this period, Augustine converted to Christianity and was baptised with his mother, child and a close friend. Augustine spent six lovely years in a country estate, engaged in philosophical reflection between 386 and 391. Wouldn't we all love to do that? The idea of the journey of the soul became the framework for his Christian theology. He synchronised the Platonic idea of truth with the Christian idea of Christ. Both Plato and the Gospel of John describe the source of truth as Logos and the Word, as we read in John 1.1. Where Plato didn't describe the way to truth and Platonus spoke about um, the journey of the soul back to God, Augustine believed that the practicalities of returning to truth was provided by the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Augustine was very influenced by the Gospel of John, wherein John asserts that the Word was made flesh in the world. Augustine argued that in Christianity, uh, the practical way to return to the truth was given. Christianity is the way to know God through the inward turn towards the soul. In Augustine's thought, the Western philosophical concepts of truth, being and God were brought together. When we look at modern philosophers later on, we will see that the relationship between these three concepts become more tenuous. But significantly for Augustine, being is a less personal experience. It is unbounded, apparent and everywhere, eternal and unchanging. For this, Augustine calls it the Logos, because it is Logos. It is also knowable through reason. He found corroboration uh, for this in the Gospel of John, where it says, or where John says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, John 8.32. By knowing Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the guidance of Jesus, uh, humans would be freed from the ignorance in the material in the material world. Knowing and reason for Augustine was the gaze of the soul. But reason had to be based on faith. Before one understood, one must, one must first believe, he argued. Faith permitted the immediacy of understanding things beyond words used by reason. The interior teacher, or Christ, in the soul allowed access to truth and logos, or the word of God. It is very important to notice that Augustine understood the Christian God to be non-personal. This is very important for the evolution of modern Western society. The God he describes is not swayed by emotions or favoritisms. The God of being and the God of or the rational God lays the foundation for notions of equality, freedom, justice, fairness before the law, and the inalienable rights of all citizens. Please find supplementary material for this podcast on announcements on my UNISA. Ciao for now.